over the years, uh, leading up to Easter, one of my favorite studies has always been the people around the cross. And this morning we're going to look at one of them. We're going to look at Peter and, and how he was involved right up to the time of the crucifixion of Jesus and then the difference that the resurrection makes in his life. And as we look at Peter, we're going to ask a question. Can God use a failure? You ever fail? You ever find yourself in that place that Paul talks about in Romans 7 where you know what you want to do and you know what you don't want to do, but you find yourself not doing those things that you want to do, but keep on doing the things that you don't want to do. You have a thorn in the flesh, one of those places that just continually beats you up, drags you down. You ever lose your temper and just in a rash moment say words that hurt or harm someone and you wish you could just take them back but you've just fallen flat on your face? All of us fail. And I've found that Satan is really, <laughs> tries to play both sides of the fence with us. He entices us to sin and when we do, he becomes the accuser of the brethren. And, and he says to us, how can God love you? Or how can God use you after you've done what you've done? And what I want us to see in a very, very honest way, how God uses people like you and me. How God uses a, a failure. Read with me, if you will, in, in Matthew 26, starting in verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a, a hymn, they went out uh, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away from me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Jesus uh, and Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the same. Now let me set the setting for you. We're, go we're going to just look at this passage and we're going to see it as uh, the anatomy of a failure. What, what is it that causes us when we fail in our walk with the Lord, in our service for the Lord. Then we're going to see how Jesus works in our lives and the transformation that he wants to bring. But let's look, first of all, at the anatomy of a failure that's given to us here in Matthew 26 in this picture of, of Peter. Now, you, you have to keep the setting in mind. Jesus has just taken the disciples into the upper room. 
He has washed their feet and given them the example of what it means to be a servant leader and tells them that if he's our Lord and Master and he would wash our feet, we are to wash one another's feet. We are to serve one another. We're not to look out for ourselves first, but we are to look out for the needs of others. And then... He takes the, the Paschal meal, the Passover meal, and he transforms it into the Lord's Supper, that commemorative of why he came to die for our sins and to carry our sins away and to wash us clean by his blood. And then they sing a hymn and they leave the upper room and they go outside the walls of Jerusalem and they make a journey up to the Mount of Olives, and as they are in that journey, Jesus gives to the disciples his last will and testament. He gives them his last words. They're found in John 14, 15, and 16. And then they get to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus turns to the disciples and said, all of you will be offended for me, to me this night. Now, I want us just to look at these words of Jesus from the perspective of Peter. And I want you to see in Peter and all that happens to him here in, in, in Matthew 26, there are really four things that stand out in the anatomy of his failure. First of all, Peter ignored the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke clearly. And he said, all of you will be offended for me this night because it is written in the scripture, spite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And then just in a few moments, Jesus is going to speak specifically to Peter, and he's going to say, Peter, before the rooster crows, three, you're going to deny me three times. Now, the word of Jesus is very explicit, but Peter is not hearing what Jesus is saying. Because even as Jesus is speaking, Peter is making up his protestation how that the word of Jesus does not apply to his life. Now, I want you to know that any time and every time you and I come to the word of God, we don't come as casual or curious observers. We come as servants to the word of the Lord. And everything that God speaks to us in his word, he speaks to us in his authority. And when we come to the word of God, you and I have one or two options. That is obedience or disobedience. What Peter is doing is he's hearing the word, but it's not really hearing it. Every now and then... Uh, Janet will be talking to me, and uh, she'll say to me, uh, uh, have you heard what I just said? And I kind of just sit there and go, uh, uh, you know, because she's, she's caught me. 
And she said, you got that faraway look in your eye. You're somewhere else. And so she's speaking, and I'm hearing the words, but I'm not hearing. And that's what's happening with Peter. He hears the word without hearing the word. Went in one ear and right out the other. And I want you to know that is a dangerous place for a believer to be. I went to be pastor of a church. Just got there a couple of weeks and found out that there was a deep conflict going on between two people. I mean, it was the kind of conflict that threatened the health and the welfare of the church. So the chairman and the deacon and vice chairman and deacon and I went to meet with the two individuals that are involved. We went first to the one who was seen as the offending party. And he was repented and he was broken. And he wanted forgiveness and he wanted a mending of the relationship. We went to the other guy who was a popular Sunday school teacher. And we talked to him and we, we talked about how this guy that he's been offended by is repentant and, and broken and wanting forgiveness. And I looked at him and I said, you have to forgive because the scripture says over and over, be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And he looked at me and he said, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm not going to forgive him. And I want you to know there was just a cold chill that went over me. It wasn't long until he had left the church to go to another church, but when he went to the other church, he was sporadic in attendance, and it wasn't long that he had just dropped out altogether and had stopped walking with the Lord. It is a dangerous thing to ignore the word of God. But that's what Peter does. He ignores the word of Jesus. I'm exempted from it. It just doesn't, you know, other people need to do it, but not me. Secondly, Peter was overconfident in his own ability. When, when Jesus said to him, uh, you know, all the sheep will fall away, Peter uh, protest, though they all fall away because of you. I will never fall away. Now, I want you to know, Peter loved Jesus. I mean, he had left his family business, fishing business. He, he had left all the prosperity behind and counted as nothing to go after Jesus. But here he's, he's just kind of resorting back to his own ability. I will never do it. And Jesus said, Peter, but before the rooster froze, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, never happened. I mean, even if I were asked to die for you, I would never do that. And he thought he was strong enough in his own ability to stand. The third part of his failure was that he grew weary in the place of prayer. 
You come down to verse 38. Jesus, there on the Mount of Olives, is going to go in to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he leaves eight of the disciples at the entrance of the garden. And he asks three, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, to come on into the garden with him. And he stops and he says, Watch and pray with me, for my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And he leaves them and he goes on into the garden. And you know that prayer that he prays with such intensity where his humanity is being expressed. And, and he prays and it's so, so hard that it's like uh, sweat drops of blood are coming down his brow. As he says, Father, if possible, let this cup be taken away from me, this horrible, brutal death. I'm about to die as the sins of the world are placed upon me and the hell of the world is going to be experienced in my body. But nevertheless, not as I will, your will be done. He prays that for an hour. And then he comes to Peter, James, and John and they're sound asleep. And it's interesting that Jesus speaks to Peter. And he says, Peter, couldn't you watch with me? Couldn't you watch and pray with me for an hour? And then he goes back into the garden. And he prays again for an hour, and then... He comes back and they're sleeping again. And that happens again. And Jesus comes to them and says, rest on, it's time for us to go. And Peter just, just grew weary. Can you imagine? Have you ever had somebody just say to you, I'll pray for you? But then they don't. That's where Peter was. He just grew weary in the place of prayer. The fourth ingredient of his failure was that he distanced himself from Jesus. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane with Judas's betrayal. And he's carried off to the court of Caiaphas, the high priest. And, and what it would be like is, is that uh, there would be a courtyard and then there would be this huge porch and, and Jesus is on top of this huge porch where, where, uh, where he is going to stand this kangaroo trial while down below there are observers that are watching it. And it says that while Jesus is up here, Peter comes and he stands down here with the people who are clamoring for the death of Jesus. If you go to, to Luke's gospel, Luke 24, verse, uh, 22, verse 58, it says that, that Peter followed him at a distance. Jesus went ahead. Peter was back here. 
Jesus is up here. Peter is down there. And it's a hostile environment. People are clamoring and crying out for the death of Jesus. And as Peter is there, there's a little maid. I, I, I think there's great irony in it. Here, here's Peter, the big fisherman. Here's Peter, the man of strength. And here comes this little maid. And she says to all of the people standing around, he's a follower of Jesus. I've seen him with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Peter is caught off guard. And he does something he never thought he would do. And he says, <laughs> you're wrong. I, I don't know him. And he, and he goes out to the entrance of the garden, and the little maid, another little maid comes and looks at him and says, uh, I, I'm sure of it. I, I've seen you with Jesus. And he said, no, 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 you, you're, you're mistaken. I, I, I don't know him. And in a few minutes, all the bystanders, everybody around him says, we, we know that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're a Galilean, because your accent gives you away. And this time, Peter called a curse upon him and swore, I do not know him. Now, that doesn't mean that he, he cussed and said, I don't know him. It, it means, like he would say, I, 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 I put my hand on a stack of Bibles, and I swear, may God strike me dead, I do not know him. And then a rooster crowed. The Bible says that Peter just wept. He realized his faith. Have you ever done that? Something you thought you'd never do? Thoughts you thought you'd never entertain? Words you thought you'd never speak? Things you do in secret that you thought you'd never do? That was Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just so thankful the story doesn't end there, don't I? And Peter fell flat on his face. He's broken. Jesus crucified. He's buried. On the third day, he rose. And after the resurrection, he appears to the disciples. And then in John uh, 21 you have the third of the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. The disciples are out fishing, doing what they used to do before they followed Jesus. And they labor all night, and they don't catch a single fish. It's kind of like going fishing with Rick Proctor. I mean, just they labor all night. In the morning, Jesus is standing on the bank and he says have you caught any fish and they said none and he says let down your nets on the right side of the boat and they're thinking who's this so we're fishermen but at his word they let 
their nets down on the right side of the boat, and they catch so many fish, they can't bring them in. I mean, there's, there's a, there, it's a catch of a lifetime that they have. And Peter says, it's the Lord. And they rowed a boat, rowed to the shore with their catch, and then they, 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 they cooked some of the fish for breakfast. And, and that picks up in verse 15. It says, when they had finished, here's, here's Jesus and his gentle rebuke of Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I, I want you to know something. Jesus was dealing specifically with Peter. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Have you ever wondered why he asked him the same question three times? He asked him three times because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus just looks in his eyes and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the third time Jesus said it, the Bible says that Peter was grieved. You know what that means? That Peter came to the place of repentance. When you and I falter and fail, it's just not a matter of us getting up, dusting ourselves off, and going off to do the best that we can. But instead, it is coming to the place of repentance that changes our lives. Isn't that what 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says? If you say that you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. If, if you say, man, I don't ever fail, you're telling a lie to yourself. But if you confess your sin, if you homo loego, if you say the same things about your sin that God says against them, if you take God's side against your sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. If you come to that place and you say, Lord, I'm broken that I've done that. I don't want that in my life. I really want to follow you. He says he will forgive you. Now listen to me. God's not looking for perfect people to use. 
because there are no perfect people. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for people who are repentant in attitude and who are obedient in action. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He brings him to the place of brokenness so that Peter can come to the place of faith-filled obedience. And that leads to the third part of the story, and that is the transformation of a failure into one that God mightily, powerfully uses. You, you know the story. It's found in, in Acts 1 and 2. Let me just give it to you quickly. In, in fact, the story of Acts 1 and 2 is just the opposite of the story of the anatomy of, of Peter's failure in Matthew 26. Because here, first thing that happens is Jesus takes them where? Outside of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And he speaks his last word and said, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And this time, Peter listens closely to the words of Jesus. Secondly, he humbly submits himself to the plan of Jesus. Did you notice? Peter doesn't say, now, Lord, you just go on back to heaven. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of everything. No. His is just a humble response of obedience. He hears the word. He humbly submits to the word. Jesus ascends back into heaven. Peter and the disciples go back to the upper room where all together there are 120 that are gathered and Peter now persists in prayer. You go to the middle of Acts 1 and they devoted themselves to prayer. For the next 50 days, that's all they do is they pray and 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 they won't do anything until God moves. Now listen to me. Prayerlessness is our uh, expression of independence from God. Prayer is our expression of absolute dependence upon God. Can you see the difference in Peter? I hear your word, I bow my knee to your word, I lay down and prostrate myself and I cry out to you. And because of that, you come to Acts chapter 2 and Peter, filled and empowered with the Spirit, now proclaims the gospel and 3,000 people are saved. This is the same crowd before whom Peter had denied Jesus. These are the same people that had cried out. And now Peter proclaims that everyone would know that this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has raised up from the dead. 3,000. And that's just the start. 
Can I tell you something? Sometimes our failures are the most important places in our lives because they break us. And they bring us to the place of repentance. And they bring us to the place of absolute commitment to Him. You might be at one of those places in your marriage you might be at one of those places with one of your children. You might be at one of those places where you just want to throw up your hands and walk away. Can I tell you, Jesus, in his tender rebuke, just says to you, do you love me? That's really what it's all about. Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says that to simply say to you, I love you. And I really want to use you for my glory. Wherever you are, whatever, whatever my purpose is for your life, I want to use you. But before I can use you, you've got to come to that place saying, Jesus, I want to love you more than anything else. And I want to yield everything that I am to you. We sang that song of the reckless love of God. The question is not, does he love you? You know that. The cross declares it. The question is, how much do you love? The answer to that question is seen in the degree of the commitment of everything that you are to him. His word comes into your life. It's life-giving. Your knee is bowed in submission to his lordship. Your heart cries out to him in prayer, and then he takes you and uses what you in ways that you can never imagine.